Remember that famous line from Forrest Gump? Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But with WNA Trailblazers, you do know you're going to get amazing stories from trailblazing women in business. And with Davies Chocolates, every handcrafted chocolate you bite will delight you. Davies Chocolates, proud sponsor of WNA Trailblazers podcast. It is a game changer if you know your why. And I I think it's actually the difference between me and a lot of other firms is that I just know why I do what I do. I don't go out there to try and sell what I do. I sell why I do it. That's Kelly Martin, founder and managing partner of KLM Solicitors, on how knowing her why drives her in business. And this is WNA Trailblazers. WNA. Women's Network Australia. Trailblazers. Amplifying the stories of women in business. Hosted by Women's Network Australia CEO Cheryl Gray and Louise Poole, managing partner of podcast production company and official Women's Network Australia media partner, Welcome Change Media. It can start to sound a little bit like a cliche with all the armchair experts telling us you've got to know your why. But it's actually true. Unless we know what really gets us out of bed in the morning beyond our sense of duty, business and life in general can start to feel pretty stale. Kelly Martin is the founder and managing partner of KLM Solicitors and has really found the benefit of being driven by her values, her purpose and her why. So Cheryl, let's talk about trailblazer Kelly Martin, who is someone that seems so driven by her why. Yeah, sometimes you walk into a workplace and they have their vision statement on a board or even painted in fancy script writing to remind staff visitors Mm. what their why is. Kelly's is absolutely imprinted inside her and she talks about leading from within. She's so clear on what her why is. So she's grown a legal practice from basically her and, and an assistant to almost 30 staff and four officers. And she deals in family and criminal law matters and particularly domestic violence matters. So, Mm. you know, there's some heavy emotional stuff in the types of cases Kelly and her team manage. But what she says keeps her going, gets her out of bed every morning and helps her to deal with processing, I guess, some of those really traumatic moments is that why. And it is about her making sure that people have access to justice and access to the legal system in a way that is affordable and that it's fair. So that clarity, I think, no matter what sort of business you're in, is so critical. Yeah, and and a great trailblazer for us to be highlighting here as well too because just imagine starting on something that, particularly around some of those hard domestic violence cases that she has, something that is so raw and traumatic as just two people and then working on that premise of trying to help as many people as she can by following her own why and values and grow that business out over this time, like in awe of Trailblazer Kelly. I think the other thing about someone like Kelly Martin is, yes, she's been successful in growing her business, but she's also grown the careers of a lot of other young solicitors, particularly women in the legal profession around her. And that's been a really important thing, that whole sense of mentoring. We talk about that as as really being a bit of a no-brainer, but if it's not a no-brainer for Mm. everyone, it certainly is for her and the fact that she's been able to build an incredible team around her is a real testament to her approach to to leadership and to mentoring.
going and the success that comes from that. Well, let's hear your conversation with Kelly now. Trailblazers. Kelly Martin, welcome to WNA Trailblazers. Thank you for having me. And I particularly wanted to talk to you because my understanding of one of the reasons why you set up KLM solicitors, you wanted to do law differently. Yeah, well, I guess, Cheryl, I started KLM solicitors about probably 15 months after the birth of my first daughter. And it was at that particular point in my life that I really started having an interest in making sure that women and subsequently by proxy children had access to justice, no matter how or where they were coming from or what their financial position would be. And I really wanted to make sure that I could assist as many people as possible in that endeavour. And I suppose that for me, it was really important having seen the way in which domestic violence was going in the community to, to ensure that there was more help available on a wider level. And that's why I started. I suppose I didn't expect for it to take off as quickly as it did, but it was really interesting. It was only recently I realised that the reason for that is because I always knew why I was doing what I was doing and and not just what I was doing. So um, that was really important. There's a couple of things I'd really like to just unpack in in what you've said. First is that access to justice. I think um, a lot of us, most of us, probably all of us, assume that access to justice is a right and that no matter where you come from or what your circumstance is, it certainly happens on TV um, where everybody has a right to legal representation. But what is the reality of the law in terms of really the reality of access to justice? Well, that's an interesting question. I suppose everybody constitutionally has a right to an access to justice. Um, that's what that's what the constitution says. However, it's how I suppose you are able to access, have that access to justice that is the problem, um, especially here in Australia. We, obviously, if you don't have the funds to hire a solicitor, you're then um, thrown in the way of legal aid funding. If you're not, if you don't meet the very strict merit and means tests that legal aid have, then you kind of fall through these gaps in the industry. And whilst there's a, a number of charities and community legal centres that have set themselves up to assist people that fall through that gap, they're underfunded, they're under-resourced, and people find it difficult to get that ongoing help. So you might get, for instance, an initial meeting with a lawyer through someone like Women's Legal Service or a community legal centre, but then you don't have that continued assistance. So I was really passionate when I started KLM about making sure that nobody fell through those gaps. And I still am passionate about that. I think I'm one of the largest family and criminal defence firms in Southeast Queensland that still offers the ability for clients to apply for legal aid through our firm, the ability to approach us about reducing fees from time to time, the ability to get assistance in other ways through our firm. And that was really what I wanted to continue doing. And I've managed despite the tremendous growth we've had to enable many people to get that assistance. So I think that's why I, what I really had in mind when I started the firm. And was there a reason for that? What drove you to that? Was it personal circumstances? Had you seen cases that you couldn't take on at other firms or were you seeing a need for it that wasn't being met? The other thing that I really wanted to do a bit differently with KLM was to enable clients to have a real person 
person on the other end of the phone. So whilst I'd always worked in legal aid funded firms, um, I was really lucky, I suppose, to do that throughout my career because it gave it opened my eyes to how important it was. Whilst I'd always worked in those firms, had been assisting at Women's Legal Service for some time before I started KLM, the ability for people to have a solicitor that was passionate about their case that would be a real person at the other end of the phone to be available um, sometimes outside of hours, to be available personally to the client and not just be another number of coming through the firm was another thing that I hadn't seen work very well in other firms. So that was another reason that I wanted to do things a bit differently. Um, And uh, yeah. Well, I think we hear a lot about um, the concept of billable hours. Yes. And I'm not sure that there's a university course in billable hours. I imagine for if it's anything like new people coming into the PR industry, where in big agencies, billable hours are also a thing. That concept of the billable hour, how how much does it play on your mind and compared to other firms? Yeah, look, I'm not going to be coy about it. I've, I also have a business to run. So you have to do both. Yep. Any lawyer has to also be somewhat of a salesperson in that they're selling themselves as a business concept as well. So I don't want to put that to one side, otherwise we wouldn't be successful. But it has to be balanced in my view. If you're going to do this job properly, it has to be balanced in my view with that ability to assist people that can't afford to pay, you know, your hourly rate or can't afford a decent lawyer. And I think the difficulty is there's far too many people that are falling between those gaps. And we're seeing more and more people come to the family court, not so much in criminal defence law, but especially in family law, where they're left to represent themselves. And there's an old saying, a person who represents themselves has a fool for a client. So it's quite a difficult concept, but there's more and more people being left in that position now because they simply can't afford it. So I was trying to bridge that gap, I suppose, when I started KLM. But again, you've got a business to run. So billable hours isn't a concept that's foreign to us, but it's just not as important as enabling people to have a lawyer on their side. Of course. And you have built that business. When you started, there was you and one other and a bunch of files. Yes. And you've grown significantly in really a short space of time. So presumably that concept, that approach works. Yeah. Well, I'd like to think so. We've had a lot of organic growth and we've had a lot of growth from referrals from happy clients. I don't know if anyone's ever, I say happy in inverted commas because I don't know if anyone's ever happy in my area of law, but satisfied clients, I suppose. People that felt that we were the right people to be on their side when they're going through one of the most difficult times of their life. So yeah, I think the growth has been somewhat organic. The growth has been attributed to the work of my team and making KLM what it is now. And I've been really, really lucky to be able to know what our why is about and to be able to then organically get staff and colleagues that share that vision. And that's the reason we've been able to be so successful in growing. It really is down to teamwork that we've been able to get to where we are now. So you have chosen to specialise in family and criminal law, obviously in terms of the family law side of things, relationship breakdowns, divorce, parenting, some really tough emotional things. You also do and have done a lot of domestic violence matters, deal with a lot of domestic violence matters. How does a 
lawyer and how do you and your team deal with having to hear and deal with some really awful situations in terms of the case matters you address? Yeah, look, it's a very difficult area of law to work in. And whilst working in law overall is incredibly stressful, and I'm not trying to isolate family and criminal law from the stress that comes with being a lawyer, what we aren't trained for in university or what we're not trained for specifically is the trauma that is associated with dealing with people that are going through some very difficult situations and especially ones that come to you you might be the first person they tell about abuse assault domestic violence in general and you're left almost as a first person or the first border call for that person to explain these things to so with that comes vicarious trauma it's really important for us as family and criminal defense lawyers to recognize that that is a thing can you just explain what for those who don't know what what vicarious trauma actually is? Well, vicarious trauma is trauma that's associated with hearing or being exposed to a traumatic incident, and that can be hearing it from another person. So you're vicariously, I suppose, living somebody else's experience, and it's a compounding type of trauma. So Mm. hearing one incident might not affect you so much, but hearing incidents over quite a long period of time can manifest Mm. itself into post-traumatic stress disorder. And in 2015, that's what I was diagnosed with. And it was probably one of the biggest shocks for me to hear the diagnosis when I was given it because I was like, I haven't heard, I haven't been exposed to a particular incident. I haven't been to war. I haven't been a victim myself of violence or, or, or a car accident or all of the things that you would I guess, historically associate post-traumatic stress disorder with. And when I was told that it can manifest from being exposed to vicarious trauma for a long period of time, um, I started understanding what it was really about. And if you think psychologists and doctors are trained to deal with hearing other people's traumatic incidents, and they quite often get their own counselling, I think it's part of their core professional development, in fact, that they have to do a certain number of hours of counselling with another psychologist or another counsellor. We don't have that. So I suppose the law society and the bodies that govern us haven't quite clued on to how important that would be for us yet. So I'm doing a lot of work at the moment kind of getting that vocalizing my experience with post-traumatic stress disorder and vicarious trauma because I think there's a lot of people that leave our industry in particular because they're not coping with it it's really yeah I was just going to ask that were you tempted to walk away and you know how many other lawyers in that situation would walk away you know what I just opened my my own firm when I was diagnosed so it wasn't even an option for me at the time but also I don't think for me I don't think it was ever in an option like I'm here doing what I was put here to do and I wasn't ready to leave it yet I'm not saying that I'll never be ready to leave it but at that particular time and even now I still love what I do and I still helping people and using my skill to assist people through those times for me is more important than anything and whilst it was a difficult period of time I knew that I could build skills to get over that whereas there's some people and this is why I'm speaking out about it so much is there's some people that work in our industry and I'm not excluding women from this but particularly younger men that aren't I suppose grasping the importance of owning when you're not okay Mm -hmm. and we're quite commonly become alcoholics or recreational drug users or engage in antisocial behavior 
as young lawyers because of the stress that it brings, and in particular, family and criminal law, the trauma that that can bring. Engaging in those sorts of things are signs, warning signs that you're not coping. And that's why I've been really vocal about speaking out about it, because I want the young people in our industry not to shy away from talking about it, but also not to stop doing what they really wanted to do in the first place because they don't know how to deal with it. There is, you can get tools, you can put tools in place to do this effectively without it having a grave impact on your life. So, And you learned to do that. You obviously sought assistance um, and to learn those tools. But I, I also know you dealt with a particularly traumatic case a few years later. How significant was that in terms of your own personal well-being? At the time when it originally happened, I went into, I suppose, I had like a traumatic reaction, which is mm. what happens when you're exposed to significant traumatic events. So I kind of went quiet and didn't talk and laid on the couch for a day or two and then went through the self-blame reaction, which is completely natural, and then came out the other side and really saw purpose in my role again and wanted to make sure that I could assist. So so that's a skill that I built, though. Um, There's many people that wouldn't be able to cope. I've got a lot of colleagues that have been really helpful. I've got a lot of friends and family that really understand PTSD and trauma now. So Mm. it's... I've got a lot of support around me, but if, if you didn't have that, it would be very difficult, I think. so. Just to explain, that was the case of Hannah Clark. Yes. For those who, who are aware of the Hannah Clark case and the particularly traumatic incident that occurred, it's certainly not surprising that you would have had a very strong personal reaction, but, but the fact that you actually then saw that as an opportunity to continue, not only to continue, but to talk even more vocally about domestic violence and trying to make and force some reform and change in that area, as well as on the professional side, talking about vicarious trauma within the legal profession. And can I say, Hannah doesn't have a voice anymore, neither do her three children, but her family and friends have done a tremendous job in keeping that voice loud and clear. And I certainly am happy to say I will continue along the path of keeping that voice loud and clear for her and other victims of domestic violence that aren't here anymore, that don't have that voice and people that don't feel like they can speak up. I want to be that voice for them. So all of the people that work in the domestic violence sector and charities, especially the families of, that have lost loved ones, they're incredible people and they should be commended for all of the work that they do. So, I mean, I'm just one tiny little piece of Hannah's puzzle, but I knew that from what happened, we had to speak louder, I suppose, about what was happening. And I'm really happy that by speaking louder, I've managed to assist many other young women that have come since Hannah, come into my office since Hannah, that I'm still helping. But don't you also get terribly frustrated that those women still keep coming, that those cases still keep happening, that the violence still continues after everything we've talked about, after everything we know, after all the additional funding that's gone into it, it's still there. Oh, it's frustrating. It's always been there. It will probably be there for quite some time. The change starts with education and it starts with education at an early age and it starts with education of our young men. It starts with parents and I say parents, understanding the impact that a um, traumatic separation, I suppose, can have on their children, the exposure of children to violence in a home, not encouraging your children to be respectful to the opposite sex or even each other, bullying, all of these things. I mean, there's so many things that feed into creating a domestic violence perpetrator.
perpetrator. Just throwing funding at victims all the time isn't going to fix that problem. Whilst it's gravely important that we continue to do that, of course, we've got to look a little bit further. There are many people in the domestic violence sector that are doing just that and will continue to do just that. But education of our own children, we can do that in our own homes to ensure that they know that it's not acceptable, that bullying and speaking badly of other people and not respecting people in the workplace, in school, at university, all of those things can feed into domestic violence. If you accept it at that level, when does yeah. it stop? Yeah. So, yeah. You have had a lot of young women work at your firm and you mm-hmm. take quite seriously the idea of mentoring and, and being a role model for young women. How important is that, not just in the legal profession, but but generally for women in business to take on roles of mentorship? Oh, a no-brainer. <laughs> it's tremendously important. Whilst it's, I mean, I think the statistics at the moment in Queensland is that we actually have more women getting admitted as lawyers mm. than we do men. Mm. But you look at the percentage of women in top jobs yep. in law and it's still like 3%. It's 3 or 4%. It's incredibly low. The pay gap is still there. The amount of women that feel as though when they've left to have children, they find it difficult coming back. And the, the amount of women that feel as though they're torn between being a mother and being a lawyer or, and I can only really speak in my profession, but I've really tried to encourage the young women that work for me to know that you can have both. I took my babies into the office when I started my firm and I mean, I owned the firm. It's a bit of a difficult set, a different setup to what, what I've got now, but I want to encourage women to return to work and to know that they can do both and can they, they can do both successfully. I've got two very bright, happy little girls that, you know, still love me dearly as a mother, but they also watch me go to work every day and be a role model for them and to know that you can run a business as a woman and you can be successful as a woman. And for me, that's incredibly important and one of the reasons why I keep doing what I do. And do I have mum guilt? All the time, all the time. Like, you know, mum, why can't you make this or why can't you come and do reading in class? Well, unfortunately, I can't do some of those things, but I make it up Mm. in other areas. So, And uh, that's not putting aside the women that have the most incredibly important job of being a mum and feel as though they can't go back to work at any particular point because of certain things. Everybody has that. Don't compare. The big thing I'll say about that is never compare yourself to anyone else. You need to do what is right for you, your life, your children, and you don't need to compare yourself to anybody else because I did that for so, so long. And there'll be people that look at me, I suppose, and say, well, if she can do it, I can do it. But that's not the way it works. It works for me. It may not work for other people. Being a full-time mum didn't work for me when I was doing it. I needed something else. But there's other people that it really works for them. So just everybody's got their role in in society. And I just think the amount of women that compare themselves against other people, it it can be a very dangerous game. So Yeah. And not just in terms of parenting and mothering, but all sorts of comparison. In the workplace and the way we look, the way we manage things, you know, we've all got things going on behind closed doors. No one's perfect, but, you know, just own yourself and be the best you you can be. And that's how you'll find yourself and the happiest version of you, I suppose. Great advice. I just want to touch on the business because it has been an exciting story of growth for your business, but you started small. What were the 
fundamentals that you put in place in terms of your business, in terms of the legal practice that you think really helped achieve that growth? I'm guessing people is one of them, but were there other things, were there certain systems, processes, technologies, whatever it might be that you sort of look back now and go, wow, we really got that right or we really got that wrong? Yeah. Look, in terms of my business model, I've always been a really hard worker. So, and that's not just in my own business, but I've always worked really, really hard. And I knew the first couple of years at the very least would be incredibly hard work. And I think there's still hard work <laughs> at times. <laughs> but yeah, definitely getting the right people in around me to help me. I mean, I, I'm, I've made a couple of mistakes along the way with that. But generally, I've had an incredibly supportive a team that have shared the vision that I've always had for KLM and been excited about the growth with me. The things that I think have really worked is that I've always led from within. I don't lead from above. And I've always encouraged my team to be part of our growth. And I've asked them to give me advice about certain things along the way. And I've made it about us and not me. So I think that's made a, a big difference. I've managed to retain some incredible staff over the years. Um, I've had a very supportive practice manager who just happens to be my mum. So that's been... The trusted mum. Yeah, yeah. And she's an incredibly successful businesswoman in her own right. So, mm-hmm. and I've learned from her. But I was very lucky to have her retiring from her job thinking, that she was going to retire or semi-retire and then coming in and working for me. And look, having the trust there through the infancy of my firm was significant. Mm. And then I've had people like Jane Brooksner, who's just been promoted to partner of the firm, who's been with me for over five years now and, you know, came to me as a junior lawyer mm. who has just been there for every step of the way. When I've had doubts about the business, when I've had really big highs, when I've had lows, when I've been struggling personally with certain things, she's always been there as a support as well. And just having those people as part of my team has been, I think, a game changer. And then also just knowing why we do what we do. Yeah. I know this. I know I think I think it's Simon Sinek that talks about know your why. It's actually really important. Yeah. And I noticed that you've said it a number of times throughout our interview that you're very clear on your why. It is a game changer. If you know your why, I think it's actually the different the difference between me and a lot of other firms is that I just know why I do what I do I don't go out there to try and sell what I do I try I sell why I do it and it just it makes such a big difference and I think that can carry across to every industry oh absolutely absolutely I think you know some firms have the need to write it up on the wall but clearly in your case it comes from within and it comes from the way you talk to your staff it comes from the way you talk to your clients it comes from the way you talk about the profession it is that sense of as you say leading from within and look this is an industry with a hell of a lot of tall poppy syndrome which is really (laughs) (laughs) you know there's people pulling you trying to pull you down left right and center and it's just really important to know why you're doing what you're doing so that you don't you can kind of drown out those people if you know why you're doing what you're doing Mm. you don't really care about what other people think about you and the minute I stopped caring what other people because I had a really bad experience in my last job and I won't go into it too much but with it's just people that just 
don't want you to succeed. And the minute I realized that I could turn that off, that noise, uh, and just focus on why I wanted to do what I did, it changed everything. And I really honestly don't care when people talk badly. And this is some truth to it. And I can grow from it, of course. I don't care when people are just talking nonsense anymore. And, you know, women are the worst, to be honest. They can be really nasty. And I think it's really important to make sure that you're supporting women around you. And not. that's what I, I love about being part of WNA is that you're a group of women that support each other through business. And there's no tolerance of anyone talking badly about anyone else. And that's really important. Kelly Martin, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for giving us some insights into not only the growth of KLM solicitors, but I guess in some ways your personal growth throughout your journey and where you've got to. And we look forward to hearing more about the next chapter. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Listening to Kelly's story, it really makes me very conscious of making sure that I make all decisions with my why at the top of my mind. Do you think you put your why in your work, Cheryl? You know what? I do, but I think it's taken me a long time to realise the importance of it and to understand that. I mean, I was 52 when I took over the role of CEO of Women's Network Australia and and that for me was that clarifying moment of what my why is and Mm. it's about helping women to succeed. Yeah. And it was always there. I was always doing it, but I probably wasn't really clear that that was indeed my why. So yeah, now that I have that clarity of purpose, absolutely, that's what it's all about. Does it drive you to get out of bed every day? You know, it does. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think for a lot of business people, being clear about why they do what they do is the absolute motivator, particularly during challenging times, as many of us are facing at the moment. If you don't have that why, or if that why is not grounded in a real purpose, you know, if it's if it's all about making money, well, good luck to you. Yeah. Um, that's terrific. But that's not, I don't see that as a purpose. I don't see that as really being purpose-driven. Um, that's an outcome. So, yeah, look, I, I, I do really think that, like Kelly, having that clarity of purpose makes it easier and fun and more mm. exciting and rewarding to, to do what we do. I must say, when I've worked on projects where it's been, my why has been because somebody has told me to, versus when I've worked on projects because it fits my values and it's driven by my heart. It's a whole different feeling. I suppose the depths at which you will go to see this thing, this person, this outcome succeed is, you know, and then when it does and you see it make that difference to people in the way that you value, it's it's worth every late night and early morning. Absolutely. So when we talk about why, especially for Women's Network Australia, I mean, Trailblazers is a huge part of that, isn't it? It's amplifying these stories of women in business. Yes, it absolutely is. And here we are and we've still got more amazing women who are leading the way in not just they're not necessarily doing things that you might describe as particularly entrepreneurial but they are doing things differently they are very clear about their why and the way they want to go about running their businesses and they want them to be different and they're really different in terms of their their position in the pack so to speak so that in my mind makes them trailblazers and what I'm always finding is no matter what they do no matter what field they're in there's a strong purpose and a lot of it is driven by a link with community you Mm. know whether it's helping domestic violence victims people in whatever community sector there always seems to be and perhaps that is something that is a common trait in what we're seeing in our trailblazers is there is a connection with community and a really strong purpose on that note if you know a trailblazing woman in business who has a strong purpose or a story that we need to amplify why not reach out to us and let us know so we can feature them in our future trailblazers 
Trailblazers podcast. We have an amazing network of women in business and they are, in my mind, all trailblazers, but it's always great to hear from others as well. And so you can find out more about Women's Network Australia at womensnetwork.com.au or on all your favourite social media platforms. Or keep listening because we've got more amazing women to come. Next time on WNA Trailblazers. There's some amazing people out there that try to understand, but unless you've been there in that situation where you're sort of living minute to minute sometimes, day by day, week by week, you don't understand unless you've been there truly, really. And when they come to our programs, they feel it. They know that it's a safe place that we really get it and they, and they can talk freely about it because there's no judgment. They don't have to explain anything. We know. We get to know the woman whose passion for supporting and nurturing carers led to the creation of the Carers Foundation Australia. When we meet founding director Ronnie Benbow. Do you know a trailblazing woman in business whose story needs to be amplified? Let us know. Drop us a line on the contact us page at womensnetwork.com.au. We're celebrating the end of another episode of WNA Trailblazers, but no matter what you're celebrating, you'll find Davies' gluten-free handmade chocolates are the perfect gift for any occasion. Visit davieschocolates.com.au and order your selection online for speedy delivery to your door. Davies Chocolates are proud sponsors of WNA Trailblazers. Thinking about making your own podcast? Welcome Change Media would love to help. Visit welcomechangemedia.com.au. WNA Trailblazers is a Welcome Change Media production.